The best way to learn a language? Immersion. Living where the language is spoken and using it every day. But if that's not in the cards this year, you can still learn a language the second best way. And that's with Babbel. Be a better you in 2024 with Babbel, the science-backed language learning app that actually works. Don't pay hundreds of dollars for private tutors or waste hours on apps that don't really help you speak the language. Babbel's quick 10-minute lessons are handcrafted by over 200 language experts and help you start speaking a new language in as little as three weeks. Babbel's designed by real people for real conversations, and their tips and tools are approachable, accessible, rooted in real-life situations, and delivered with conversation-based teaching, so you're ready to practice what you've learned in the real world. Here's a special limited-time deal for our listeners. Right now, get up to 60% off your Babbel subscription at babbel.com slash bluewire. That's 60% off at babbel.com slash bluewire, spelled B-A-B-B-E-L dot com slash bluewire. Rules and restrictions apply. Welcome to episode 20 of the Keeper Cup podcast. We've officially reached 20, Pete. Can you believe it? The big two. Oh, on the same day. Ready? On the same day that Marcus Semyon hit his 20th home run. Let's go. That's <laughs> we, are awesome. just, we are just in sync with Marcus Semyon. Happened from the beginning. <laughs> that's, uh, that's great. That means that we've got, we've got to hurry up because we've got to get, he's going to hit more than one a week the rest of the way. Yes, he's so going to have 50 for the year, so we really got to... We, we got to work hard. <laughs> well, the good thing is if he hits 50 for the year, we will catch up to him with our 50th episode before he gets to start next season. That's true. Yeah, so we'll still be in sync. We'll catch we'll up. Yeah, this is this is another another episode of Keeper Cut where we have managed to mention Marcus Simeon, even though he has nothing to do with the conversation we're going to have. <laughs> Although I think that with the conversation we're going to have a little bit later, sort of the, the back half of this... He probably could factor in. It doesn't look like from the notes he's going to, but he he certainly could because we're going to talk a little bit about guys whose dynasty rankings have jumped, who've passed other players, right? You look at guys who beginning of the season were ranked lower than they are now and players who they have passed. And Simeon has certainly passed some middle infielders in, in dynasty rankings, or at least should have. Yeah, no question he has. There's plenty to choose from, and that's why he didn't make the list. And certainly it would be nice to give our listeners somewhat of a break for Marcus Simeon, even though we've already talked about him now. But yeah, he would fit the bill, and, and there's plenty to dive into, no doubt. So talking a little bit somewhat about Simeon, but not really. Simeon hit his home run off of Yusei Kikuchi today, who had a really nice start against a, a tough Toronto team. He continues to impress. His opponent today, though, was Hyunjin Ryu, who gave up four earned runs, five total runs in four innings, two home runs, two strikeouts, two walks. It is not usually a good thing if you have the same number of home runs and walks and strikeouts at the end of a start. That's what happened to Ryu today. He's been pretty bad lately. What's up with Ryu? Yeah, he's definitely been bad lately when you look at the season long numbers though i mean isn't this i guess this is what we've drafted him for right he's not going to strike a lot of people out and i've talked about at length how i feel about the guys who struggle to strike guys out the strikeouts were up in may which is weird but they're they're i guess i don't know i i think overall ryu's been fine and and he has done what you're expecting he's got a 3.41 era a 1.10 whip He's striking out. I'm trying to find his inning total right now. Yeah, he's striking out way less than a batter per inning. And I mean, isn't that, I guess, what you wanted in Ryu? So definitely a bad start today. After after the start today, his ERA is up to 3.65, which would be uh, the highest it's been since 2017. ERAs the past three years have been 1.97, 2.32, and 2.69. There we his go. FIPs have been 3.0, 3.10, 3.01. So you've got a guy who has consistently put up peripherals around a 3.00 ERA or FIP, and all of a sudden his ERA is higher than that, but his FIP is also 4.19. Yeah, you don't expect him to put up like gaudy strikeout numbers, but his last three years, he's been at 9.73, 8.03, and 9.67K per nine. His strikeout percentages the last three years have been 27.5, 22.5, 26.2. All of a sudden, he's down at 20. 
I don't know. There's there's a lot of stuff. His home run per nine is is way up, mostly driven by an increase in his home run per fly ball rate, but his ground ball rate is also lower than it's been the last couple of years. There's a lot of stuff that's sort of, I don't know, I, it, it's concerning to me. And, and you're right. I mean, the overall numbers, like those aren't bad numbers. He's not, he hasn't been terrible. He just really hasn't been what, what we expected. And if I look back over his starts dating back to the beginning of June, like he's got one, what I would call legitimately good start. He went seven innings, gave up one run with four strikeouts and a walk against Baltimore. But it was against Baltimore. It was at Baltimore. So I guess he kept the ball in the park except for that one home run. But other than that, then he gave up four runs to Baltimore in his last start. Before the good Baltimore start, he gave up three runs with three strikeouts and four walks to the Yankees, which, boy, he he gave up two home runs, walked four batters. He managed to really dodge damage there, given he only gave up three runs. He gave up three runs to the White Sox. That was a much better start. Six to Houston. He had a short start against Cleveland. And, and then before that, he was sort of okay. But man, I mean, it's just been... I feel like I expected to be able to rely on him for like six to seven innings and two runs. And that's not what I'm getting, not even close. I stick by, you know, you look at the overall numbers and like you said, they're not bad numbers. I, I still think it's kind of what you drafted him for. Like you're right that the, the strikeout rate is down, but I mean, if you drafted Ryu to get strikeouts to begin with, I think that's a problem. He hasn't been as reliable. I do think the schedule has been a little bit difficult. I think some of the stuff should normalize. Like you look at the last three outings where he really struggled. As bad as the Yankees have been, and clearly they didn't take advantage of what was offered to them by Ryu, they're still a pretty good offense. The White Sox, the Astros, they hammered them this month. So I think part of it is that in Toronto, another another great offense in the day game today. So I think it, it's been a weird start for him. But when I look at those overall numbers, I say, okay, he's probably still pretty much the same pitcher. He's 34 years old, so maybe it is a little bit easy to accept a dip in, in strikeout rate and so on and so forth. So I'm not pushing the panic button, but certainly you drafted him to be a little bit better. I also don't think he got enough uh, in the short season last year, his first year in the American League. He didn't get enough of that American League ERA bump that typically happens when guys move from the NL to the AL. So I do think, like, I mean, you brought up the the FIPs. He was due for some normalization there. So maybe he really just is a mid-threes ERA guy who's going to go deep into outings, occasionally strike guys out, but I wouldn't rely on it. And I'm fine with that because that's what I would have drafted him to be. If you drafted him thinking this is the guy who finished third and saw Young voting, this is who I'm getting, that's, that's a tough move to me. I hear what you're saying. I still think now his five starts in June, this does not include the start today. Uh, today, for those listening, we are recording on Thursday, July 1st. His five starts in June, he has a 4.88 ERA, a 5.81 FIP. He is striking out 4.02 per nine and walking 3.16 per nine. And that 4.88 ERA, he's got a 216 BAPIP against. So he is, he's been getting extremely lucky on balls in play. And then today, again, he he wasn't any better, right? Two walks, two strikeouts, two home runs. So I don't know. I mean, I I think at some point, you know, by the end of May, you were sort of getting what you expected from him or close to it. And since then, it's just been ugly. It's just been really ugly. But we are not here today to talk about the rough start from Hyunjin Ryu, at least not any more than we already have. We got a couple (laughs) things we want to talk about today. And to start... Little thought as we get to the middle of the season now, a bunch of teams have hit 81 game mark. We're right in the middle of the year. It's time to start to narrow down your trade targets and really, and your free agent targets for that matter, and go figure out what you need to get to win. And so I want to take a quick run through three stats that the teams are always, always searching for home runs, stolen bases, and saves. For each of those, let's talk about some guys who maybe you could trade for, maybe you could pick up on the wire if they're they're relatively low roster percentage. To start with at home runs, I've spent all spring, uh, going back to, to before the season started, trying to trade for Kyle Schwarber. And I feel like <laughs> I've missed, missed the boat on that now. In any league where I haven't completed that trade yet, it's probably not going to happen. Is there anyone else like that that you're sitting there and thinking... This guy might be available. Yes, he's good. Schwarber's probably better than the kind of guys we're going to talk about even before he went on this insane run. But guys like that who you look at and you think, 
this guy might be available either because he's not rostered in your league or because his the, the person who rosters him is not that excited about them and might be willing to move them, who you think can help you in power. Yeah, uh, the first one that comes to mind is Josh Bell. I just added him back. Uh, I don't know if I got him back, I should say. I, I think I originally had him. I just added him back in one of our Yahoo leagues, 12-team league, so he was available there. I think that's that's pretty normal. He's owned in less than 60% of leagues in ESPN standard leagues, so he should be available in most of your leagues, and especially for keeper formats where he's still under 30 years old, and I still think he has a high ceiling, Chad. We've talked about Josh Bell quite a bit in the past, and you know, last time we talked about him was probably about a month ago, and his stack cast sliders, if anything, have gotten better. He certainly looked a little bit more locked in at the plate. The average exit velocity is still super high. The problem that we identified with him earlier was that he was hitting too many ground balls, and it looks like that really hasn't changed too much. But it must have changed at least a little bit. He's he's up around the league average, a little bit above the league average in fly ball percentage. So overall, he's he has a ton of power. He's going to play. He has been sitting against some lefties. I wouldn't be surprised if he sits tomorrow. I know he's facing a lefty tomorrow. I think it's Julio Urias. But he's not in a full platoon, and he's going to get plenty of at-bats. The Nationals are really hot lately. So I just think this is the right environment for Josh Bell to take off. And because we've talked about it before, I don't want to spend too much time on it. But again, I want to reiterate that like he he had that horrible second half of 2019. 2020 just felt like a little bit of a wash. And then he got COVID after tearing it up in the spring. So I think finally, 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 we may be getting back to who Josh Bell should be. And it's not necessarily first half 2019, but it's not as bad as the player that we've seen. And because of that, I think you can kind of get him at a discount, if not, if he's not an outright free agent. And I do think he's going to contribute pretty heavily in the power department going forward. Josh Bell in the month of June, he has 80 plate appearances, not quite a full month's worth of plate appearances. Like you said, it's not a full platoon, but he's, he's playing pretty regularly. He has a 282, 363, 521, 521 slash line, a 375 Wobo, 137 WRC plus, he only hit four home runs in June, so the, the power hasn't quite been there, but everything else looks good. And it's you know a 320 BABIP, which isn't anything to be concerned about. Exit Average exit velocity in June was 91.5. He had an 11.1% barrel rate. Like Things are looking good over the last few weeks for Josh Bell, and I, I think you're right to target him here, and I think it may be like you might need to act fast. Right now, you're hoping that the person who rosters him is looking at him and thinking, yeah, he's been pretty good lately, but is it really going to continue? In another few weeks, they'll be convinced it's going to continue. And so I think now is the time to act. In terms of sort of a more, I guess you might say, a more traditional power hitter in terms of a guy who just sells out more for power, you've got a guy on your list that plays for your, your beloved Red Sox. Yeah, so Renfro is somebody I'm going to get into a lot more detail as as we get to the second half of the show and we start talking about players who've jumped a tier, but I had to put him down for this as well because of how hot he's been lately. Now, before I go forward on Renfro, Chad, I have to take a massive L on the podcast <laughs> here. Like the one of the biggest L's so far, and I've taken a lot of a lot of L's on the pod this year. Joey Gallo, I successfully jinxed the ever-living hell out of that guy. He has, I think, six home runs in his last five games or some, some absurd stat like that. So far today, he's two for two with an RBI. I was really concerned because he hadn't been good for a while. Like It was that first half of 2019 where he was so good, and all of a sudden, he's tearing it up. So if Gallo's available, he's not going to be a free agent, but if somebody's willing to trade him at this point, it's probably too late, obviously him. But yeah, Renfro, I mean... Like I said, I'm going to talk in more detail about him, but the Red Sox have been looking for corner outfield help basically all year. They've been really getting nothing out of that until Renfro recently, and he looks absolutely locked in. And the two things I'm going to elaborate on later in the show where he's shown drastic improvement are the, were the two biggest concerns when they signed him. I mean, there's a reason why a guy who had three straight seasons of over 25 home runs and is still just 28 years old had to sign for one year $3 million. And that's because he couldn't hit righties and he struck out too much. He's improved a lot this year in those two departments, and that should stick out to you when deciding, is this just a hot streak, or maybe is there something here? He's not going to be this good all year, or you should go and trade you know, your, I don't know, Brandon Woodruff for him. He's not going to be this good all year, but he is an improved player, and I think he's going to play even against righties, so he's absolutely worth going out and getting if he hasn't already been picked up. 
Yep, totally agree with that. A couple other names just to throw out there quickly. Adam Duvall is only 52% rostered on Yahoo. Mike Zanino, only 31%. Those guys are both hitting for a lot of power and playing pretty regularly. Auto New, where it's a little bit harder to find valuable free agents. A couple of guys who are under 50% and have decent power. Harold Ramirez has six home runs and about 150 plate appearances, which puts him on, you know, roughly a 20 to 25 home run pace for a full season. And he seems to have locked down an outfield job in Cleveland. And then Michael Franco has always had decent power. He's not going to do a lot else for you, but he's got a job. He's in a good power park. He's only 16.9% rostered in Yahoo leagues. I, I don't love Franco. He's not a guy I would rush out to go add. But if you need some power, he can probably provide some from a corner infield spot. Chad, can you tell us a little bit about Harold Ramirez? Because like, I'm looking at his stat cast sliders and he's only 26 years old. And like, is this guy just a player? I mean, he never strikes out. He hits the ball exceptionally hard. He's probably going to have, like you said, an everyday job now, especially with unfortunately what happened to Josh Naylor. Um, yeah. That was that was scary last week. Can you tell us a little bit about this guy? Because I, 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 he looks awesome. Yeah, I mean, he, he's not a guy I can say that I've really done a, a you know, a, a deep dive into to really get into the nitty gritty of what's going on with him. But, you know, you say he never strikes out. His, his issue in the past has been he doesn't walk a ton. He chases pitches quite a bit. He has a high contact rate, but he was, you know, if you go back to like his last two major league seasons coming into this, he only had three games, 11 plate appearances in 2020, but 2019, 2020 between them. He had a 20.4% strikeout rate, which isn't bad, but a 4.2% walk rate, uh, which just, it isn't enough. And the combination just wasn't great. And so even with a relatively high BABIP of 326, he just, he wasn't getting on base enough and he wasn't hitting for enough power. And he's not going to be a guy who gets on base a ton because he doesn't walk a ton. This year, all of a sudden the power's there. And so instead of that low on base, pulling down his WOBA to the 306 WOBA that he had, over those two partial seasons, it was a 92 WRC plus. Now he's got a 109 WRC plus this year with a much lower BAPIP, mostly on the back of an increase in his fly ball rate, which was 23.3% the last two years, 27.4% this year. And his home run per fly ball rate, which was 13.9% is up to 16.2%. But the other big thing here is he's striking out so much less, so much less. His strikeout rate this year is 12.2%. It's just so much better than the 20% he was at last year. And it's based almost entirely on gains in his ability to make contact. You know, sometimes you see guys decrease their strikeout rate because they stop chasing. And so their overall contact rate goes up, but really they're, they're just swinging at fewer bad pitches. His chase rate is still high. It's still 42.4%, which is exactly what it was the last two years. His zone swing rate is 73.3%. It was 73.5% the last two years. Like he is, he is attacking the same pitches. I shouldn't say the same pitches. He's attacking the same amount of pitches. But his contact rate on pitches outside the zone is up to 70.1% from 65.4. His contact in the zone is up to 89.9 from 87.2. And like you said, his barrel rate is up. His hard hit rate is up. His max exit velocity of 114.5 is very good. He's just a good, strong guy. And if he can continue to make to keep those gains in his contact rates, the contact quality, I think, will be there. I think the big question for him is going to keep making contact at that rate. But if he can, he's a really solid player. The walk rate is especially weird to me because I'm looking at his minor league numbers and like he posted really solid OBPs throughout the minor leagues and he even stole some bases. So that, I mean, I don't know much about him. I like you, I have to do more of a deep dive, but this guy interests me. I think that's a great pick for this. Yeah. I think he's super intriguing and we'll have to see, see where he goes from, from here. Um, I think the exciting thing again for him is there's really no reason to think like he'll have to play himself out of the job and he mm -hmm. might like, there is, there is absolutely the possibility that he just bottoms out and loses the job, but nobody's taking it from him until he gives it up. So let's jump from power to speed. Stolen bases, always hard to find. I've got a couple leagues where I'm desperately searching for them. Who are guys you could either trade for relatively easily or pick up off the wire to add some stolen bases? 
So I think all three of my choices for this, and I'll, and I'll be quick. I think you can get all three on free agency. Maybe the one that you can is Akil Badu because he's been so hot recently. Akil Badu obviously is a guy who's stealing a lot of bases. He's stolen two bases in his last three games, and he's getting hot again like he was at the beginning of the year, except he's striking out a lot less. If you remember, my big concern with him was he just struck out all the time, but he has cut down on the strikeouts. Um, he looks pretty locked in, and I think he's going to get as much play like like um, Harold Ramirez. He's going he's gonna to have to play his way out of the job. Garrett Hampson was one that it surprised me. He's owned in less than 60% of leagues, but I, that's a recent trend because like last week he like barely played. He was barely in the lineup and with the return of Brendan Rodgers, I think playtime was looking pretty shaky, but all of a sudden he's played the last two games. He's six for his last nine. He hasn't stolen a base in a while, but he's in the 99th percentile in sprint speed and he has 12 stolen bases this year. So he's definitely somebody I would look at and then kind of a stretch, but Jaron Duran, I think is he's probably stashable in even as shallow as 12 team leagues. He's he hasn't been that great against right-handed pitchers. And I, I think he's going to strike out a lot. So I would temper my expectations when looking at his minor league numbers, because he looks like the next coming of Mike Trout, which is too much pressure for anybody. And I'm certainly not saying he's going to be anywhere near that level, but he does have lightning speed and he's eventually going to get the opportunity because even though Renfro seems to his locked down one corner outfield spot, the other has still been, you know, a, a mishmash of players and even though you know Danny Santana's looked better lately it's only a matter of time until we get to Duran and I think he's going to steal some bases yeah it's a great target I think he is you know, look at his minor league numbers he spent a lot of years as a sort of a speed only guy but there was a lot of speed there 2018 he stole 24 bases in 67 games across two levels in 2019 he stole 46 bases in 132 games across two levels he also hit a total of eight home runs across those those two seasons. And then this year, 15 home runs, eight stolen bases in 37 games. He missed some time because he was on the Olympic qualifying team. And we'll see if he's headed off to Tokyo at some point, which which would take him out of play for a little while. But yeah, I mean, there there is, boy, especially if that power is legitimate. I mean, you know, the 15 home runs over 37 games that puts him on some sort of a crazy 60 home run pace. It's like, <laughs> that's not real. And let's not worry about that. But 30, 40 stolen bases with 15 to 20 home runs. Like he's only going to be up for, you know, half or a quarter of a season. So you're not going to get 15 and 40. You're going to get four or five home runs and, you know, 10 stolen bases in a quarter of a season. But man, there's a lot of upside there. He's a guy who like the power eruption this year, like sure, it's the minor league ball. And I think the the wind blows out a little bit in Worcester and, and all that stuff. But he also beefed up. I mean, he right now looks like somebody who would be in like the MMA and he wasn't always that way. He he thought, OK, I take to improve as a player, I, I need to I need to gain some muscle. And he took that to like the maximum. He looks like like Josh Bell's dad. I don't know if you've ever seen a picture of Josh Bell's dad. That guy could like rip a house in half. <laughs> um, but yeah, he's he's gotten jacked. So I think the power breakout, there is some legitimacy to it for sure. Yeah. And, and then the other guy you mentioned, or one of the other guys you mentioned, Akil Badu. I think the thing I really like about Badu is he was really good when he first came up. He was really struggling and striking out a lot for a little while there. And he seems to have made. He seems to have adjusted to the adjustment, and, and you love to see that with a young guy because it gives you a sense that they can maintain what they're doing. So I, I'm excited about Badu as well. A couple of guys that I would look at for speed from a trade perspective because he's rostered way too often. Tommy Edmond been sort of exactly what we expect him to be, but honestly, like nobody loves Tommy Edmond. There's nobody who's <laughs> got him on their team thinking like, yeah, this is a guy I could never move. But he's stolen 14 bases so far this year. He qualifies at multiple positions. He's a really useful guy to move around when other players have days off and maybe steal a stolen base here or there. So I think he could be really useful from that front. Dylan Moore was so good last year, got off to a rough start this year, and then got hurt. But as you you look at his overall numbers so far this season, he's stolen 13 bases in just 56 games, and he has seven home runs in those 56 games. So he is on, you know, again, prorating to a full season a 20 home run 35 stolen base pace i don't think he keeps that up but if you're looking for stolen bases he is rostered in only 44 percent of yahoo leagues and then a quick look at auto new where again it's harder to find this kind of stuff miles straw only rostered in 44.3 percent of auto new leagues 
he was a guy I was pretty down on before the season, but he's stealing bases, which we knew he could. And he seems to be playing regularly enough to have some value. If you've got, especially in leagues where you've got a deeper bench and you can just use him as needed, he can he can just add some stolen bases. He's not going to do a ton else for you. Uh, it's a little bit like my my Michael Franco pick on on home runs, right? You're You're getting one thing out of this guy, but he'll do that one thing for you. Yeah, I think of these six names, Hampson, Badu, Duran, um, you know, those other guys that you just mentioned, Edmund Moore, I think Straw's the best choice for this. Like if you need stolen bases, he has been such a nice surprise. I think he he knows what he knows what he needs to do and he's done it. And that's just put the ball in play. Don't strike out and let your speed play up. And he's been an awesome. The people that were patient with him because he got off to that horrible start right. are, are really taking advantage. Yeah. So I think that's right. I think that's, those are all good targets. I do think Straw is a, a really good one. I think more might be more is the one I like best from a free agent pickup. Badu, if you can get him as a free agent, is the guy I like best overall from this group because I think he's the best player of this group. Duran could change that very soon, but I just I'm I'm less I'm less confident on his timeline, and so I'm I'm sort of a little hesitant to add him, especially in shallower leagues. Let's jump to the other side of the ball as much as you can go to the other side of the ball in baseball. Look at <laughs> saves. Everyone always needs saves. We talked a little a couple weeks ago about Mark Melanson. I think he is an interesting trade target because his keeper value is low. And so I think a lot of people will be willing to part with him. But you, ha- you have to hope he's on a team that isn't competing because otherwise nobody's moving him. What about you? What about some some relievers who you think can add some saves to your bullpen? Yeah, nobody's going to listen to my advice on this one because he's been so bad and so bad recently. But Jose Alvarado, I mean, look, the Phillies bullpen is an absolute disaster. Now, Girardi said he's the closer and then he like blew one save and he immediately went to Neris for the next two opportunities, who I think blew both saves. And now it's like back to Alvarado and he got a save last night, but gave up two earned runs in the process. Bottom line, it's an ugly situation. But if you're desperate for saves, I think there's a chance that Alvarado could get hot. Look, he has no control. I mean, he's literally in the bottom percentile in walk rate in baseball. And that is absolutely not what you want in a closer in any pitcher, but obviously in a closer. And I get that. But you look at that bullpen, and unless they make a trade, I think Alvarado has a real chance to lock it down. And if he does, he could be a guy who ends up getting, you know, 10 to 12 saves in the second half with good strikeout numbers. And he could hurt your ERA and whip. But assuming your starters are good enough to absorb that, I think he could be pretty valuable. And he's definitely available. He's owned in, I think, 16%, 17% of ESPN standard leagues right now. Yeah, I think that makes total sense. I think the, the, this is going to be sort of the recurring theme over the next three relievers we're going to talk about is if you want saves, sometimes you just have to pay for saves and they don't always come with strikeouts. They don't always come with ERA. They often don't come with whip. You're just going to have to deal with that. And I think Alvarado is as good a choice as any when you keep that in mind. Who else did you have? So yeah, I had Gregory Soto, who is, I guess, in a tug of war with Jose Cisnero in the Tigers bullpen. But I think if you know you're a young rebuilding team like the Tigers, I think it it behoove you to give that to to Soto. Cisnero is like six or seven years older. Maybe he's a trade deadline guy and leaves the team, and that really opens up the door for Soto. You know, he's a guy that you and I have talked about in the past. Chat is we really like his stuff. We think he has closer stuff, and he's been pretty solid this year, despite kind of splitting those duties. So Gregory Soto only owned an unless leagues on ESPN than Alvarado is, which which definitely surprises me. Definitely a target. Now, the problem is obviously he's on the Tigers, not a great team, not going to be as many save opportunities. But I do think he's going to get most of those limited opportunities going forward. And he's been he's been pretty great. Like Alvarado, he's got trouble with the walks, but not as much. And he's been pretty solid this year. Yeah, Soto's a guy who I was high on early in the season and then in the end of the preseason. I drafted him a bunch of places. Then I sort of moved on because he just wasn't grabbing that job. He still hasn't grabbed the job. And that still is frustrating to me because I think he is the the guy who should have it. But if you need saves, there aren't going to, like, guys who have grabbed the job are not available right now. Mm -hmm. So you're going to have to settle for what you can get. The guys I was looking at, one of them, you know, Nobody wants Colorado pitchers, but Daniel Bard appears to be the closer for a very, very bad Rockies team. He has 11 saves on the year. He'll probably get another 10 or 11 before the season's over. 
He is only 47% rostered on Yahoo. So if you're in a Yahoo league and he's available, he'll strike some guys out. He'll get you some saves. He'll give up some runs and base runners in the process. His whip on the year is 1.56. His his ERA is 4.32, which is also not good, but is not as bad as a 1.56 whip. But like I said, if you need saves, you need saves, and he'll at least get you saves. And then uh, Amir Garrett is more of an upside play for me. It seems like he might have a chance to get some saves again. He just got one recently. Lucas Sims is hurt. They haven't really had anyone grab that job. And, you know, Garrett a year ago was very good and two years ago was very good and three years ago was pretty solid and he's really really struggled this year i, I don't have a good sense of why i'm not gonna be able to give you a good answer on like oh if you could fix this problem somebody somebody else probably could but i can't right now but he seems like the kind of guy who if he can figure it out could run away with that job get a bunch of saves for a team that should win a decent number of games down the stretch not a ton but a decent number and has the potential to become a keeper because he could lock down that job. And if you start to look at not what his numbers are this year, but what they were over 2019, 2020, even going back to 2018, 2019, 2020, there's, you know, 3.60 ERA over those three years, 11.47 strikeouts per nine. They're not great, great ERA numbers, obviously, at 3.60 for a closer, but that's not hurting your team, at least not very much. And the strikeouts are good, and if he locks down that closer role going into next season, I do think he's a, he's a keeper. And so there, there's some upside there. I, I don't know. I think if I were – if I want saves right now, I think I would go with Bard of the four guys we talked about, and Garrett might be my last choice of the four. <laughs> If I want somebody who I think could establish themselves as a long-term closer, Soto or Garrett, I'm not really sure who I would prefer. I think Garrett has shown more what he is capable of in the past, but Soto is probably, I think Soto might be more talented. I I like Soto's talents and and skill set the most of them. I mean, you know, Garrett relies on that slider. And that slider will be effective if he has an effective fastball. The fastball has been horrible this year. He's lacked any kind of control. The walks have gotten him into trouble. But for this exercise, he's just like like Alvarado to me. Like, yeah, he's been bad, but almost by default, he has the job. And I actually think Garrett is more secure, much more secure than Alvarado because in Alvarado's case, Neris is healthy, but Sims is not in Cincinnati. And I know TJ Antone, I don't know if he's back on the IL, but I don't think they want to turn him into a closer. So yeah, I mean, at the end of the day, I think Garrett's a pretty good choice for this. Those are our our look at guys who can add some saves, stolen bases, or home runs to your roster who should be readily available in your league, either via a inexpensive trade or a free agent pickup. The last half of this, what we want to talk a little bit about are guys whose dynasty value or, or keeper value has really increased. And there's a number of guys. We each took a time to look at someone in the top 50, someone in the top 200, and someone outside the top 200 who we thought would had really meaningfully changed their value so far this year. And to throw out some names of players that they have, they've leapfrogged, that before the season you would have been maybe crazy to have drafted them ahead of the these guys but right now their their long-term value seems higher you want to start with the low tier or the high tier where should we start let's start low because i think my yeah my first choice is someone we've already talked about and that's hunter renfro so renfro's still only 29 years old even though we've been hearing about him for a while his adp was 370 which means in 12 team leagues he was undrafted and in Fangraphs points leagues he is a three dollar average salary so very very available going into the year and to me he's leapfrogged max kepler now i'm i don't know how much chad you're going to focus on the guys that they've leapfrogged i think it's kind of self-explanatory they haven't performed as well as we had hoped in i'm going to focus on renfro really he signed a one-year deal with the Sox. Be interesting to see if he re-signs because I think Fenway's a good fit for him, especially with Duran in the pipeline and Verdugo in the fold. I think he could help solidify that third outfield spot, and he's been awesome for them in the field. Not that that matters for fantasy, but I mentioned before they had two big concerns when he signed. His ability to hit right-handed pitching and his K rate. His K rate's at a career low 21%, and Cora said going into the year, we want to address his strikeout percentage. So far, the results have been great, and he's hitting really the best he ever has against right-handed pitching. 
That's only 246 average with a 700 OPS. That's not great, but when he hits 333 with a 1038 OPS against left-handed pitchers, those right-handed numbers are fine. This is a player with three straight seasons of hitting 26 or more homers in less than 450 at-bats. So if he's now going to play more against righties because he's hitting them better, we can assume he's he's going to be a 30-plus homer type guy. He's hitting righties decently now, like I said, and for a free keeper price. I mean, if you pick them up off free agency and you're in some 12-team, you know, 10-15 keeper league, you basically get to keep him for free, and I think he's going to be 30 homers going forward. Yeah, I think you're you're higher on Renfro moving forward than I am. I still worry a little bit about him, about that platoon split and how much of a regular job he has. And, and the fact that if the power dries up even a little bit, he just doesn't bring much else. But Kepler hasn't been good. And so I don't know that I can disagree with you. And I, I do think at the very least, Renfro has gone from a guy that wasn't being kept anywhere and wasn't being drafted in a lot of places to a guy who certainly belongs in that conversation which is exactly what we should be looking for in this low tier. So I, I, I'm, I think he makes a ton of sense here, a ton of sense here. The guy that I had from this low tier, also an outfielder, is Brian Reynolds. Brian Reynolds was drafted. I'm looking at NFBC ADP as of opening day. And Brian Reynolds' ADP was 307. And so he was, again, you know, going outside the top 300, not being drafted in some leagues. He has been really, really good this year. Just really, really good. No other way to say it. He was so bad last year and he had such a strange like up and down coming into this year, right? So if you go back to 2019, in 2019, he was excellent. He had a 371 Woba, but it had a 387 Babbitt behind it. And I think a lot of people were rightfully scared off by that. And then in 2020, he had a 231 Babbitt and a 278 Woba. His strikeout rate went up. He also walked a little more, but it just, it got really ugly when that BABIP dropped. And so this year people were out and it's understandable, but now he's come back and this year he's got a 405 on base percentage, thanks to a 12% walk rate and only a 19.9% strikeout rate. He has a 316 batting average. So he's helping you in on-base leagues and average leagues. Yes, he has a 369 Babbitt, but he has a 354 career Babbitt over a thousand plate appearances at this point. So it's time to start thinking that maybe this is a guy who's just going to continue to post relatively high Babbitts or at least have the ability to do so. And I think if you look at his his career numbers, you still see a really good line, a 290 average, 366 on base. He's got 37 home runs in a little less than, not even two seasons, a season and two thirds, season and a half worth of plate appearances, maybe a season and three quarters, something like that. He's also stolen seven bases over those years. You know, this year, 14 home runs, three stolen bases so far, not a ton of speed. He's also, but, but it's something, right? He's also providing something from stolen bases instead of a, a you know, nothing at all. He's got 45 runs and 45 RBIs in less than half a season on a very, very bad Pittsburgh team. And on a very, very bad Pittsburgh team that may be willing to trade him. And so, boy, get him out of that park and get him out of that lineup and get him into a better park and a better lineup. There's a lot of upside there. And for me, when I look at him, you know, I also, I would put him above Kepler. I think he's a good example of a guy that that Reynolds has surpassed. And there's a bunch of other names up there that we could talk about. But I think that's a good example. It gives a sense of, you know, Kepler... Uh, his NFBC ADP was 188. And I think it gives a good sense of, you know, Reynolds should be in that category, maybe even higher going into this, going into next season. Yeah. I mean, you look at it over a thousand plate appearances and 852 OPS. So it's time to invest. You bring up the trade, Chad. Let me flex really quickly. I wrote about Brian Reynolds potentially being traded before the season started for pitcher list. And I got uh, DM'd on Twitter by a former major league baseball pitcher who told me, Enjoyed the article, but wanted to pass on a note about what teams are expecting for Reynolds. He'd probably require something close to two top 100 prospects right now. Or he said, sorry, top 10 within an organization. So two top 10 organizational prospects. I mean, Reynolds probably be worth it at this point, particularly for a team like the Yankees, but that's a hefty asking price. You know, it's interesting. For me, as a Cleveland fan, there's been a lot of talk about the fact that Cleveland needs outfielders and has a, a roster crunch coming because they've got a lot of guys who are going to have to be added to the 40 man this year or be subject to rule five. And so they've got to, they've got to do some consolidating 
in order to be ready for next season. And if I'm Cleveland, if I like, if you know, I magically became the GM of the Indians, I think there are two. Like, I would talk about like a Gabriel Arias and I don't know a Josh Wolf or an Ethan Hankins. I don't think I'd want to move a Tyler Freeman or a Nolan Jones, but man, would I talk George Valera and someone else? Maybe, yeah. I, like, I think the, I think that's a team that could give up two top ten prospects, especially among guys who are knocking on that forty man door. I don't know. I'd be super interested in that. I, I think I would pay that price for him. He'd be a great fit there for sure. So let's jump to the mid tier. Who is your mid tier guy that you're you've been impressed with? Yeah, so th- this one is Jake Cronenworth. We went into the season, Cronenworth, 27 years old. He had a 207 ADP on NFBC. That's like 17th, 18th round of a 12-teamer, and he's only a $7 average fan graph point salary. And I'm choosing him over Jeff McNeil, who I still like, but not as much as Cronenworth anymore. You know, we went into the season worried about playtime. He's played every game this year. He's played just about, I, I believe, every single game this year. And we worried about it because of Profar and Haseon Kim, and that looks laughable at this point. His position flexibility is going to take a little bit of a hit next year. He's made 70 appearances at second base, only six at shortstop because Tatis is healthy, none in the outfield, and 12 appearances at first base. But even still, as a second baseman, I think he's pretty valuable. His K rate's just 13.7%. That's so particularly good for points leagues. I'm not sure it will continue, but Cronenworth has batted third in the Padres lineup, third maybe the best spot for fantasy to bat more than anyone else in the lineup. And that for most of those appearances batting third, that's in between Fernando Tatis Jr. and Manny Machado. So he's going to accumulate. He's been more aggressive at the plate, but it hasn't hurt in the strikeout department. He's performing above his expected stats, but only by a smidge. And that's with an 832 OPS. That will absolutely play his speed mixed with his ability really to just put the ball in play. I mean, he's a contact guy. He's not a strikeout player. I think it's going to help him avoid prolonged slumps. So I I think he's an optimal choice for this. I think he's kind of what we had hoped Jeff McNeil would be. And I hate to bash on Jeff McNeil. I just had to pick someone for this exercise. I still like him. I would still hold on to him despite his performance so far. But Cronenworth has just been awesome. Yeah, I totally agree. Got Cronenworth on a number of rosters, and I'm very, very happy with where I have him. Uh, he's been he's been excellent, and I think there were big questions about playing time. There were big questions about him sustaining what he'd been doing, and he's just picked up right where he left off last year. That's an awesome pick. Uh, I sort of wish I'd made it. Um, <laughs> so I realize now that the pick I made for my mid tier is it. The, I, I broke the rules because I took another low tier guy because <laughs> the ADP on the guy I picked coming into the season was 576. So uh, definitely low tier, but I'm going to do it anyways. <laughs> Carlos Rodon has just been incredible. Always had the talent, but he has really stepped it up this year. He is staying healthy. He's putting up clearly his best season ever. And everything about it looks good and sustainable to me. And so when I start to look at guys who were going in that top 200 or top 150, and you know some of those guys have been underperforming. Are you looking at Patrick Corbin? And it feels easy right now to say that Rodon is ahead of Patrick Corbin. But there's a bunch of other guys in that range. Pablo Lopez has been very good this year. I think Rodon may have leapfrogged him. Julio Urias has been very good this year. I think Rodon may have leapfrogged him. And Rodon is, he's only 28. Health has been a concern, but you know the the advantage of all the time he's missed is he doesn't have that many miles on his arm. So if he can stay healthy, he's he's a young twenty eight, I guess I would say. Now there's a concern there, of course, that you know injuries lead to injuries, right? And so he's got to he's got to stay healthy. I, I think there's a lot of long term upside in him being able to continue doing what he's doing as long as he can stay on the field. And right now he's managing to do that. Yeah, I love the pick. I think Rodon is pretty pretty safely a top thirty starter now potentially top 20. Yeah, I think that's I think that's a good I think it's a strong case we made for them. I mean, I'm, now I'm looking at the ADP and looking at the guys who were in the top 50 among starting pitchers. And I mean Kenta Maeda was 49.48, um Tyler Glass now 48.94, Blake Snell 44.88. Oh, Snell. And as you look at like, you know, you look at those guys I, I mean, Lance Lynn, 54.3, so just outside that top 50 overall. You know, I'm not going to say Rodon's better than all of them. He's clearly better than some of them. And I think that he belongs in that conversation. 
He does. And the one thing I'd add is he's he's going to be pitching more innings this year than he has in a very, very long time, which to me means he's due for one of those fake dead arm IL stints. I would pounce on him as a trade target when that happens. Yeah, it's really smart. If he if he, if you've got someone who, especially in a league where a contender has him, I, you know, I think there's a reasonable chance that the White Sox in the next, let's say, three weeks, put some real distance between them and the division, and all of a sudden start thinking about October rather than September. And when that happens, you're right, he could go down for a little while. And if there is a contender in your league who is panicking that they need innings, and you could trade to get Rodon, I would do it. So let's go to the top tier. We're looking at guys who were already top 50. And now we're saying, no, 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 that wasn't good enough. They've jumped over people in the, ahead of them in the top 50. Who do you have? So I went with Brandon Woodruff, uh, 28 years old. He had an ADP of around 31. That's a third round pick in, in 12 team leagues. He has an $18 average on Fangraphs, which is obviously still a bargain. I know you have him in our league, Chad. And I'm taking him basically over everybody except for Jacob deGrom and Garrett Cole which maybe is a little aggressive at this point. I think you could make the case maybe even over Cole at this point. I know that Eno Saris has always had him, I think, third, maybe actually fourth behind Bieber, and I think he now has him over Bieber, and he shot Bieber down his rankings, but that doesn't matter. So who am I taking him over? Almost all the starting pitchers that were in front of him, which wasn't a lot, but still a significant number, Nola, Giolito, etc. Obviously, Scherzer's also been outstanding, but we're talking long-term leagues. I would rather have Woodruff than Scherzer in a long-term league. His stack-ass sliders look essentially the same as the last two dominant seasons. Mysteriously, the spin rate was low in 2019 and got this big bump in 2020, and it's now back down again. But since the crackdown, I mean, his last two starts are 13 innings pitch, seven hits, two earned runs, 17 strikeouts. So in the immediate short term, I'm not worried that he's some spider tack culprit. The big like concern with Woodruff when he was breaking out was that like, can he develop a third pitch to go with his basically his two seamer and his four seamer, his sinker and his four seamer? And can they differentiate in velocity enough because those two pitches are very close? We have our answer. First of all, his four seamer is probably the best four seamer in baseball. And that may ruffle some feathers saying, obviously DeGrom's is better because DeGrom is the best at everything. But Woodruff's four seamer is absolutely phenomenal right now on, on Fangraph's point uh, pitch value. It is by far the best, the best four seamer in the sport. And he's also not, not only does he have that, but he's throwing five pitches pretty regularly at different velocities. He's a new pitcher. He's awesome. He routinely pitches deep into games. Only three of his starts, three of his 16 starts were less than six inning pitch so far. So particularly if your league counts quality starts or wins, he's awesome. Racks up the Ks. He does not create trouble for himself on the base paths with walks. He's in the 79th percentile in walk percentage. So it's so many high end pitchers hurt, older, some combination of those two things or just flat out being horrible. Like Blake Snell, Wildruff has almost by default shot up the rankings and I have him third. Yeah. And I, I have a hard time arguing with that. I, I think I think Bieber, when he comes back healthy, is going to reestablish himself near the top of that. But I worry about I worry about what's happening with Cole in terms of his ability to control the ball. And I think he'll get that back, but I think he's going to take a step back when he gets it back. And so, yeah, Woodruff right now. I mean, maybe you could argue he should be top five instead of top three, but boy, it's hard to hard to quibble with. He, he's been so good. The guy that I've got from the elite tier, the top 50, who I think has jumped even more, is Bo Bichette. And the guy I want to compare him to is Francisco Lindor. Kills me to do this because I love Lindor. But this isn't just a one-season thing, right? So in 2021, we all, you know, Lindor's struggles have been well-documented. Bichette has a 120 WRC+. Plus. Lindor has, a, has an 89 WRC+. Plus. But if I go back over the last three seasons, Bichette in now it's about it's a little more than half the plate appearances. He's got 688 plate appearances over three seasons, has a 127 WRC plus. Lindor has a 106 in 1236 plate appearances. So yes, it's a much smaller sample size, but 688 plate appearances isn't nothing, and he's been a lot better than Lindor. Then if I go and I break up those three seasons, just because you're going to be like, oh, well, that's just because this year is dragging him, you know, is dragging Lindor down. If I take their last six seasons ranked by WRC plus, 
The number one of the last six seasons from those two guys is Bo Bichette at 142 in 2019. The number two is Bo Bichette in 2020 at 122. And the number three is Bo Bichette in 2021 at 120. So Bo Bichette's last three seasons have all been better than Lindor's last three seasons. Lindor's best among those three years was a 115 WRC plus in 2019. I hate to say this about Lindor because I love Lindor and I do think he's going to bounce back and I think he's going to have a very good second half and I think he's going to have a very good career for the Mets. I think they're going to be very happy with that contract. This is not Lindor slander by any means, but Bichette's been better. And I think he's he's younger. He's been better. He's going to be in a pretty great lineup spot for basically his entire career as long as he stays there. I'm I'm really happy with him. I would... I would take him. And I think I didn't draw this comparison because he's also having a sort of a rough year. It didn't seem like it was necessary, but Trevor Story was ahead of him before the season. I'm not sure Trevor Story should be ahead of Bo Bichette right now. If I'm looking at shortstops who should be ahead of Bo Bichette right now today, there's a guy in San Diego who's pretty decent who, who should be ahead of him. So Tatis is definitely ahead of him. I think Trey Turner should probably be ahead of him. They bring very different skills to the table, and so it's a little bit of a hard comparison, but I think I would put Turner ahead of him, and that's it. It's a little bit like what you're saying with Woodruff, right? It's like, I'm moving him up to that top three, and that may seem a little aggressive, but I think Bichette's in that top three. Yeah, no, I was just going to, I I think he's going to stay there. First of all, I would agree. Turner, absolutely over him, in my opinion, anyway. And yeah, I'd say that the guy in San Diego, he's pretty good. But otherwise, I would have him third. I think he's going to be a first or second round pick for a long time going forward. And in Lindor's case, I'm with you. I love him. But we have to all of a sudden start asking ourselves, are we going to draft Semyon over him? Or are we going to draft Correa over him? Let alone the Bo Bichettes and the Xander Bogartses of the world. Sure. So... Speaking of that guy in San Diego, a little bit of foreshadowing here as we get into our <laughs> auto new question of the day. What do you have for me today? Yeah, I just wanted to go fun conversation question. So if all auto new points leagues reset, who would you rank as your top three highest paid players and what would you price them at? Yeah, this is a this is an interesting one. I mean, if you're drafting a new league right now, right, you get you get you're starting from scratch. What are you doing? So to answer this, the first thing I tried to do was think about like who are even the candidates? Who are even the people I should be considering as the three most valuable players in auto new points? I came up with a list of seven guys who I think deserve to be considered. I'd be curious to know before I give my answer, I'll tell you who those seven are. I'm curious to know, Pete, if you think they're if there's anyone else. Juan Soto, Mike Trout, Vlad Guerrero Jr., Shohei Otani, Jacob deGrom, Fernando Tatis Jr., and Ronald Acuna Jr. Now, as I start to look further down the list, if I look at, you know, sort players by points per game, like Jesse Winker is up there. I don't know if I want to factor him in. Xander Bogarts, Jose Altuve, Cedric Mullins is way up there in points per game. Maybe he needs to factor in. The next best starting pitcher by points per inning pitch are guys like Burns, Peralta, Gaussman, Rodon, Woodruff. We talked about a couple of those guys already today. Is there anyone else from that group or or that I missed completely who you think belongs at least in the conversation for top three? So I, I'm just not ready to give up on Mookie Betts and Garrett Cole yet. I think Mookie's numbers suggest that he's he's been a little bit unlucky. I know there's all the stuff with spider tag and as bad as he's been, especially against the Red Sox recently and Garrett Cole. But I still think those two, just in terms of talent and age and ability, particularly Mookie for points for new points leagues. I think they could still be be in the picture. But otherwise, I mean, if we're talking realistically, those seven are definitely the first seven that come to mind. Yeah, and I think, you know, I thought about Cole, but the big thing for me with Cole was I'm not taking him over DeGrom, right? I think if, if, if there's a, if one of those three is a pitcher, it's DeGrom and it's hard to argue with that. Let's leave Otani aside because he's a whole, he's a category unto himself. I think it's, I think DeGrom is the number one pitcher easily without a doubt. And I'm, I'm not hearing arguments. So if you disagree... Just going to have to keep your Brandon Woodruff to yourself. (laughs) And then I compared, when I think about Cole versus, you know, Soto versus Betts, who you mentioned, versus Acuna, versus Trout, versus Tatis, versus Vlad, like, I'm not taking Cole over any of those guys at this point, especially given some of the risk around the spider attack or whatever is going on with him. It's just, so I, I hit a point where I was very quickly like, if there's a pitcher in this group, it's DeGrom. And I've typically been a pay for hitting, not pitching. And so I'm, my my initial thought was maybe there isn't a pitcher in this group at all. 
Betts is an interesting one. I think Betts, you have this super interesting conversation with Soto, Acuna, Betts, and Trout. And where I ended up was, yes, I think you can make a case for Betts being above any one of those guys, to be honest. But I have a hard time right now saying that I would pick him above any of those guys. Like I think Soto, Acuna, and and Trout are the ones I would take. I think I would take them all above Betts in auto new points right now. And so as a result, Betts not on my list. So let's start this off. I think the first guy I would put up there and the guy I would probably prioritize above all else is Tatis. He's been that good. He plays a premium position. He's young. If you look at overall points per game on the season so far, there are, just pull this up, make sure I've got this right. There are four players who are rostered in more than 75% of the league. So basically guys who played enough. Four players who have put up more than nine points per game on the season. Two of them are Adalberto Mondesi and Byron Buxton, who have played a total of 37 games between them. And they aren't part of this conversation and they shouldn't be. And they need to prove they can stay on the field let alone that they can maintain that. The two guys who have actually played and put up more than nine points per game are Vlad Guerrero at 9.08 and Fernando Tatis at 9.03. Mike Trout is next at 8.23. Wow. And the gap, right, the gap from Tatis to Trout is the is the same as Trout down to like about Cedric Mullins, like the 10th best. So those two guys are head and shoulders above everyone else this year. And they're both young and improving and you know, Vlad, I think there's a positional question. We'll get to him in a minute. But Tatis, he's the guy. I, he's he's my number one guy. I would be paying high 60s, low 70s for him in a startup league right now. My second choice is DeGrom. I, and, I, you know, I'm not, like I said, usually a pay for pitching kind of guy. He is at 8.59 points per inning pitched. There is nobody else above seven and a half. And there's only two other pitchers above six and a half. So... Yeah, he's just that much better. That than is ridiculous. Else. That is nonsense. Yeah, and so I, you know, I, I he has to be in this group, and I think for him, a price in the high sixties is probably about right. I don't think I would push up to seventy for him. I might not even get above sixty-five, but something in that range I think is worth it. He is he's just that good, and he's so much more. You know, you and I early, early, early on one of our early episodes talked about who are the safe pitchers? And I was like, there's one. I don't think I realized just how, <laughs> uh, how right I was about that because yes. there's one and he's just head and shoulders above everyone else. <laughs> the third guy, this is an interesting conversation to me. And I think I could make three different, actually I can make four different arguments, maybe even five. The first question is, do you think Shohei Otani can continue staying healthy and last night's debacle aside, continue to pitch well? Because if he can continue to be healthy and continue to perform the way he has, I think he's a $60 player. And I think he's I think he's the, he's up there with those two. He's a lot riskier to me, uh, both in terms of his ability to maintain what he's been doing and his ability to stay healthy. I think we've seen the kind of risk he poses, even in that start last night against the Yankees, where he was just had no control, couldn't get out. And so I could make a, I have a hard time putting him up there. Then for me, the choice would come down to either Vlad or one of those outfielders we talked about. I have a hard time parsing between those outfielders. Vlad takes a little bit of a hit because he's going to be first base only next year in auto new, which does impact his value. But I think it still might be Vlad, right? And we talked, I talked about how there's only those two guys over nine points per game. Trout's the only other player over eight points per game. You know, I think the rest of the way Soto or Betts or Acuna could get there. I think... I think if I were picking one of those guys moving forward, Soto would be the one I would bet on, even though he hasn't been the best of them this year by by any stretch of the imagination. But I think the simple fact that there's you know four of them means that if I'm setting my prices right now and getting ready for an auction, Vlad is sort of in a, a land of his own at first base right now, which seems crazy, right? Because you think of first base as being really deep and there's always a ton of first basemen. And that's sort of true. But the second best first baseman right now is Matt Olson at 6.98 points per game. In the outfield, you've got 
Trout at 8.23, Acuna at 7.95, Castellanos at 7.93, Winker at 7.9, Mullins at 7.32, Cattell Marte at 6.98, right around tied with Olsen at 6.98. So you've got a bunch of outfielders. And yes, you start five outfielders and one first baseman, but you also need a util, and that's often a first baseman. And so I think I think that I think he's just that much better than the other first baseman that he's that he's worth it. And so I think it's Vlad, Tatis, and Degrom. Tatis and Degrom to me are the two clear cut one and two. I will hear arguments against Vlad for Otani, Soto, Trout, Betts, Acuna, but that's sort of that's sort of it. I think I, I definitely agree with the first two. And for me, the third spot would just be between Vlad and Acuna, but I could absolutely see going Vlad. I do think just kind of to end here, we need to be patient with Otani in terms of these blowups because like while other pitchers are just off for four days and resting and icing their arm, this dude is playing. So we all expect blowups from everybody except for DeGrom every now and then. We just got one from Cole. We're probably going to get more of them from Otani. I think that's just something we have to deal with. And Joey Gallo hit another home run, of course. (laughs) Yes, he did hit a home run while we were recording. Seven and five days fire right now he saw kyle schwarber and he was like i gotta catch this guy so he's no he heard our podcast and he was like screw that he's mad at you yeah Yeah. (laughs) anyways that is all the time we have today thank you all for listening again this is the keeper cut podcast i'm chad young my co-host is pete ball you can follow us on twitter you can find me at chad young you can find pete at pete b baseball you can find us combined at keep or cut that's cut with the k We hope you enjoyed the episode. We hope you hit the subscribe button, leave us a rating and review, and we hope you join us again next week. 